Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hi, I'm Amber Harper, host of the Burned In Teacher Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the podcast you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Be sure to check out our other podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to episode 68 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I am Casey Bell of shakeuplearning.com. And I am Matt Miller of ditchthattextbook.com. And in today's episode, we have one of those hot topics. Casey and I get a lot of questions about, and we've talked to a lot of you about too. So um, we've got some ideas on it. We'll be fascinated to hear what the tribe has to say about it. And that topic is managing a digital classroom. Uh, we got a, a question from one of the tribers about this. And so we're going to respond to it with an entire featured segment about classroom management, things to do, things not to do, uh, mindsets to adopt to create that classroom culture that you really hope for. We have Google News and Updates and we have a couple of blog posts and cool things to mention at the end. And we'll have something about a mummified cat. All right, Casey, you ready to do this? Let's go. Okay, Tribe, let's jump into some Google News and updates. And of course, we are heading into the end of the year, wrapping up 2018. Gosh, I I can't even wrap my head around the fact that it, we're almost to 2019 right now. I don't know about you, but this year has just flown by. So as you as you probably know, Google has a lot of information about the things that we search for. And every year they put together sort of a video representation of the things people were searching for using um, the Google search engine. And so they call it the year in search and um, you can watch watch the video. And it is such a powerful way to just kind of review. It's two minutes long. And so <laughs> in preparation for this episode, I was I was watching it and, and catching up on it and Y'all, I cried. She I, did. I was. I, I still have some wateriness in my eyes right now. That stuff just gets to me. Um, it's such a powerful. 
you know, like, again, it's only two minutes long, but, you know, as soon as you see those moments and you remember, you know, like the big moments from the Olympics and, um, you know, the, the soccer team that was rescued. And then of course they, they have the sort of the memorial piece where you see the people who've passed away and that, uh, that's really all just tugging at my heartstrings, but it is a really powerful way to kind of go back and review the year and it's completely classroom appropriate too. So, you know, if you want to share it with your students, again, it's only two minutes, but it can spark some conversations as, as we all sort of, you know, reflect on what happened in 2018. Yeah. Two, two things to add to that. Number one in the, uh, in the post about this year in search, I thought it was cool to see that they looked at the um, search results for the entire year of 2018. And they said that, people were searching for the word good more now. It had a higher interest now more than ever, which I think is kind of a cool thing, you know? Um, so that's, you know, that's obviously, it's, it's nice to hear some, some good news. I have um, a theory on that if you're curious. Oh, what's that? <laughs> I think the negative people are using Bing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, you just okay. went there. I did. Shh, don't tell anybody I said that. No, I don't. That's care. Right. It's okay. It's just between the two of us. No, no big deal. Yeah. And then the second observation on that, Casey was so moved that I was trying to talk to her. I was like, Casey, mummified cat. And she didn't even hear it. So, um, so anyway, there you go. That's, that's my other observation to share. So let's move on to that mummified cat. Um, so, uh, speaking of, um, Google Arts and Culture, as we often do on this um, on this show, Google Arts and Culture, of course, if you're not familiar, is a really amazing collection of online resources that Google curates based on really some of the wonders and beauties of this world. And they have digital versions of so many of them. So we have access to things all around the world that we wouldn't have otherwise. And they've added something to it. So basically what happened was... Um, you know, not not too long ago, back in September, there was a fire that struck the National Museum of Brazil in Rio de Janeiro. It was one of the largest collections of natural history in the world, and they lost an estimated two, or 20 million pieces of history. And way back in 2016, um, Google Arts and Culture started trying to bring their collection online. So now so many of those things are lost because of the fire, but some of them have been preserved through Google Arts and Culture. And so what's neat is you've also got street view imagery of inside the museum. And so some of the things that were lost to the fire are still available to be seen as if they are still there through street view. So you can drop yourself down into the museum and walk around, which is pretty cool. And so they have a variety of things about Brazil, but then they have all sorts of other things. Like they have the um, oldest human skeleton to be found in the Americas. It's supposed to be um, almost 12,000 years old. And, you know, they have a variety of other things like uh, one of the largest meteorites in the world um, is available to be seen on here. And then, of course, there's the mummified cat. There is a <laughs> mummified cat from ancient Egypt. It says it's an offering to the cat goddess Bastet. And I'm looking at this thing and I was like, I've never seen a mummified cat before. I guess that's kind of the point of Google Arts and Culture is to see things around the world that you would never see. And um, yay, Google Arts and Culture. Yay. Yay, yay Google Arts and Culture. Yay. yay. It kind of looks like what you would expect a mummified cat to look like. Yeah. It, yeah. 
So um, anyway, if you want to check that out, of course, there is a link in the show notes. Um, so, you know, go look at the cat and walk around the museum. And there may be something in there that, that fits perfectly with uh, what you're teaching your students. I i am very fascinated by this course. Uh, Google Arts and Culture is just ever, ever fascinating, I think. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> when Matt mentioned, he's like, there's a mummified cat. And mm-hmm. so I went and, and toggled down to to the image. So you have to scroll through the images. And they're, they're pretty fascinating in this. It does. It looks like what you would think. But I looked at it and because it, it looks like it's woven. And of course, yeah. it's it's, you know old Mm -hmm. yes Yes. (laughs) but it kind of looks like a cat basket like a basket (laughs) that was just woven into look like so um now we have a cat basket now i you know what i'm really fascinated to know how this ended up in brazil is this right part of the, the so i guess you know these things travel you know like we have different things i know the mummies, you know, that whole thing travels around to different um, locations. But even when I went to visit, you know, like the Ramsey, have you ever done the Ramsey's thing? I don't think so. Um, the, you know, it came, it came to Dallas when I was a kid and I remember going to see it, but I don't remember there being a cat included in that. So I guess I needed to go all the way to Brazil to see the cat. Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> But now you can see it on Google Arts and Culture. Yes, and you get to learn about it on the Google Teacher Tribe, right? Right. That's, that's how great we are. We're bringing you the cat basket. There you <laughs> go. More value for our listeners. <laughs> okay, y'all. It's time to move on. Let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about a little G Suite update. And we recently got a little update to Hangouts Meet. So I'm not sure how many people are, are making use of Hangouts Meet inside their classrooms or with your colleagues and other things like that. But it is, of course, a very handy way to video conference. And um, I was just in a little Hangout yesterday with another class, and it's really easy to use if if you've never considered it. But what they gave us in this update is the ability to view Google Calendar attachments inside the meeting. So one of the things I love about the connection between Hangouts and Calendar is when you create an event in Google Calendar, you can actually add the the option to have the, the video meeting via Hangouts. And so I love the fact that any attachments that you make to that event are now right there. So if you're like me, I usually have like multiple tabs open. I'm going back into my calendar to grab those attachments. But I love if you're having the meeting Here's the meeting notes. Here's the agenda. Here's everything we're working on today. Kind of makes me wonder how it took us so long to get to that point. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that just seems like a sort of an intuitive thing. But yeah, that's that's a I mean, that's a that's a good update. What can I what else can I say? You know, it's handy. Yeah, handy. Yes, exactly. All right. One more quick update to share with you. Um, if you use Hangouts chat, which, um, you know, with chat, Hangouts chat and meet, those are. Um, you know, I think slowly maybe starting to take the place of Hangouts one of these days, um, you're you're also getting Smart Reply inside of Hangouts chat. You may have noticed Smart Reply inside of Gmail at some point. Um, this is where the um, artificial intelligence tries to guess what you're going to say next. And if they think that they have a pretty good idea, um, they will give you a suggestion which I found is kind of nice when I'm typing emails that I'll just hit the tab key if they guessed correctly. And that keeps me from having to type it. 
So you've got Smart Reply and Hangouts Chat now. So that can allow you to interact with people a little bit more uh, quickly and easily without having to type as much. So all good things. Uh, if you want to see more about any of these good things, you can, of course, go to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 68. All right, Tribe, you've dealt with it. I've dealt with it. We're all sort of confounded by it. But we're going to talk about it. And that is classroom management in a digital world. Um, you know, whenever you bring digital tools into the classroom, it's, it's interesting because in some ways, classroom management doesn't really change. But in some ways, it totally changes. And um, getting some perspective and also hearing uh, how some other people handle this is, is kind of useful. And we actually did get a question, like we mentioned earlier, from a member of the tribe. This is John Baglio from the Bronx in New York. Uh, who asked us about this. So let's hear from John real quick. Hi, Casey and Matt. This is John Baglio calling from the Bronx, New York, New York. And I have kind of a different type of question. It's not really about how to do something with Google, but rather what are the best practices for managing a whole classroom of middle schoolers on Chromebooks in order to keep them on task and help them getting done what they're supposed to get done, uh, especially when it's creative work. I teach in a one-to-one Chromebook on a cart environment, uh, middle school engineering. So if you put your collective wisdom together with that of the tribe, I would love to hear what you come up with. Thank you. So yeah, I think of all of the people that have issues with uh, managing one-to-one Chromebooks, a whole classroom of middle schoolers is definitely a place where, um, where you've got to kind of know your stuff or at least have a plan. And, um, you know, I think there, there are lots of tips that, that we can talk about here, but I kind of feel like we need to get our mindset straight from the very beginning because I, I've found, Casey, I'll be interested to hear your take on this. I found that a lot of times, and I just got an email about this a couple of days ago, um, people will ask me about monitoring software mm-hmm. and ways to block And how can I disable this so students don't use it? And I think that to me is kind of, and I know sometimes you just got to have a practical way to shut something down. But I think when we get too focused on that, I think that's a mindset problem. And um, I think we've got to get it kind of like the foundation laid correctly. And I was thinking about an analogy that I could connect this to. I was trying to figure out the, the best way that I could of explaining how I feel about this. And so I kind of thought of it this way. I thought, you know, a police force wouldn't base its public safety strategy based on, well, we have X number of cars, X number of guns, X number of tasers, X number of this. And I think a teacher can't base their classroom management strategy on monitoring tools. It's kind of about strategy. It's like, what are, what are our goals? What are we trying to accomplish and how can we get there? And, um, I know that might kind of sound like a pie in the sky. Well, that doesn't really help me that much, Matt, type of thing. But I think that that's where it's got to start is, um, you know, I think we have to get it right from the beginning that, um, you know, trying to crack down and trying to focus on those monitoring tools and the blocking and everything. It creates this illusion. Casey and I were talking about this off air a little bit, this illusion that you're in control. And I think Whenever we have things totally, we think that we have things totally locked down, we feel like we're in control. 
but that's really just about us. And it's about our sense of comfort sometimes. And um, I think that our best way to avoid some of the management issues that we want to avoid, some of those classroom management issues, is instead of punishing what kids don't want to do or what we don't want kids to do, we focus our lessons on getting them to want to do things. And I think if we focus our, if that's, if that's kind of like the foundation, and again, remember, this is kind of the big picture stuff. I'm a big believer that if you have a big, big pie in the sky goal in mind, before you start get down to the nitty gritty, I think that keeps your heart in the right place. And I think our heart has to be in the right place before we get into all of this. So um, I want to avoid that, you know, how can we stop the cheaters? How can we punish the cheaters? How can we stop kids from doing this? I feel like that's a race to the bottom because it starts to set up a classroom culture of I'm going to manipulate you to stop doing these things instead of encouraging you to want to do things. So I know that was a little bit of a soapbox moment and I (laughs) I hope that you've indulged me in that, but I really feel like we got to get that, that foundational part, right. And then we can start talking about some of those, some of those tactics. We do. And you know, you're right. I get this question every day, I swear. Uh Um, And you know, someone somewhere is asking either the management question and you know, how can I see every screen and how can I do this? And it's not that, um, really that we don't understand that piece. Yeah, we still have to protect kids. That is is part of our job. But at the same time, that protection shouldn't c- come at the cost of a dynamic learning experience for our students, right? Like these things that we're creating, the things that we're talking about, we don't have to dumb down or water down or block down everything in order to prepare kids for the future. Because you know what? That's what I say all the time. In fact, I think we may have said a little bit of this in our episode about the locking quizzes. But, you know, in the real world, they don't say, oh, you can't look that up or you can't Google it or whatever. So it, it's not that, but it's it's really, I think, coming back to a philosophy, um, you know, both your philosophy as a teacher, but your classroom management kind of circling back to the management side of things. Your, what is your, your classroom management strategy? And so when people, you know, ask me this question and when kids are getting off task on a Chromebook, I always say, what did you do when they got got off task before the Chromebooks? Like, you know, if is the Chromebook the problem or, is, you know, do we need to, you know, just talk in general about classroom management? So that's what I and, and that's a that varies by teacher because there are different personalities, there are different strengths and weaknesses. So I feel like classroom management in itself is sort of this this art form, you know, because I've yeah. walked into teachers classrooms before and be like, wow how did you do that? I've never been able, um, you know, to manage a class in that way. And that was what worked for her. And unfortunately, what what seems to happen in a lot, and I, I may overgeneralize this a little bit, but I see it a lot more in secondary, I would say, is this um, control idea. And I am extremely yeah. guilty of this. I was a control yeah. freak when I was a middle school teacher. Me I was, too. I micromanaged my kids. I yelled when I shouldn't yell. Um, yeah, it's you middle. It's middle yeah. you yell? Oh, I can't imagine me getting loud. Right. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, but yeah, they're middle school kids. They, they get into things. They do things they're not supposed to. And yeah, are there kids who are always going to break the rules? Yeah. 
But um, at the same time, you know, having those those strategies in place on how you're going to handle that so that that one kid is dealt with in the proper way and the whole class isn't punished. Because unfortunately, right. what I see happening is, oh, this one kid said something inappropriate in the Google Doc and now we're shutting it down and we're all going to paper. So, right. you know, just keeping in mind, like my, uh, like Mike, I'm calling you Mike today. Apparently Matt, Jimmy, Matt said, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, that Mike today. Um, <laughs> but you know, coming, coming back to your why, you know, the whole point of using any kind of technology in our classroom is to enhance the learning in some way. And if you can't tell why it's enhancing the learning, then, you know, maybe you shouldn't be using technology because technology yeah. is not always the answer. So, yeah. you know, I feel like we've both just sort of gone around. We have more concrete yeah. ideas to share yeah. with you today as well. We just have a little bit of a soapbox moment here as we, we try to frame the conversation and not everyone yes. is going to, to be on the same page with this for sure. Like I said, that whole philosophy thing and the mindset thing is a big piece of it because a lot of times when we when we see questions, um, you know, I think I've used the example in an earlier episode about, you know, the teacher thought the problem was cheating, but the problem was really taking an old assignment and putting it into a use with a new tool and it just didn't work anymore. And so sometimes it's just an awareness, you know, and not to blame yeah. teachers who don't know those things um, that sometimes we just don't know any better. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And at the same time, I feel like classroom management is a piece that holds a lot of technophobic teachers back is yes. they're afraid what they're going to do. You know, I hear that a lot. Like what if they do something bad and yeah. um, what if they do something bad? You know, what's the worst that can happen? What, you know, go, go and through what if they those. Do something great. You yeah. know, what if they do something great? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, your schools have amazing filters. <laughs> a lot of times I can't even get shake up learning through that filter sometimes. So, um, <laughs> and I promise you, I'm not sharing anything inappropriate, but, you know, uh, there are a lot of, of little tips that, that can help you along the way. And, and so I, I've put together a little, a little shortened list that I want to share with you today. And I think Matt has some too. Yeah, these are some of the so so now that we've taken kind of the big picture, like Casey was saying, kind of framing the conversation. Now let's get down to some of the some of the nitty gritty. And so, um, one of the questions I hear is, "Hey, what about monitoring software? What about you know being able to see everybody's devices and everybody's screens?" So I'm going to share with you my favorite monitoring software, my favorite monitoring program. It's your own two eyes. <laughs> and here's here's what I mean by that. Um, my best, because I've used both. I've used monitoring software where I sat at my desk and I could see everybody's screens. Or I've done this. I've sat on the back counter of my own classroom with all my, I you know, rows and columns is, is the way that I've always done it. I just haven't, I haven't broken out and done very much more than that. It's one of my weaknesses. But with the rows and columns, I could see everybody's screen from the back of the room. And I would just sit on that back counter. It was a little higher than everybody. And I could pretty much see if somebody was had the right color of screen of what, you know, if it was a white document, if their screen was bright blue, I knew they were off doing something else. So I could wander over there and just check it out. Um, I found that that worked just as well as anything. And then the other thing I love to do when kids are working is just to, you know, navigate around the room. I know this is kind of like teaching 101 stuff, but navigate around the room. And instead of, 
using your words to be negative, I try to use my words to be positive. And so I'll find something that's on the screen in their work that I like. And so I'll use that. What I'm really doing is I'm making sure that they're on task. But what it seems like I'm doing is that I'm just enjoying all of the things that they're creating and just enjoying it with them. You know, so making those positive observations. And if somebody gets off task or if somebody's doing something, I will redirect it very quietly, sometimes whispering it in their ear, sometimes just tapping them on the shoulder, sometimes pointing to something on the screen so that not everybody else hears it. And I found that humanizing kids in that way um, takes those sort of like classroom management confrontations and it minimizes them so that we can get the results that we want is just for the kid to get back on task. Um, And I found that 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 can be really useful. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Nothing will ever replace the teacher walking around the room. Um, right. That's it, it, it's just it's just true. And, you know, I can tell you with um, teachers that I've worked with over the years that have used software monitoring, it becomes a crutch. And, um, you know, I've even seen some some teachers who are technology teachers tell me they can't teach without it. And yes. And, and so, you know, like, again, it's sort of like, okay, well, let's think about that. You know, let's process what you're doing while the, you know, and it's, and it's not to say, um, yeah, you, you can't do that when you're, you're directing, um, some kind of instruction in the front of the room. Totally get that. Um, but at the same time, you know, that control idea, again, is a big fat illusion because we all know um, the kids that want to find a way to do something are they're going to or they've got their phone under their desk or whatever it is that they're doing. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I love that. I love, you know, making those positive observations and, you know, helping find those ways to engage the students, hopefully, so that they aren't distracted by other things. So, one of the, the things that I want to come back to is um, really some strategies to help you manage what's going on in your classroom. And I have a blog post on the top 20 tech tips for teachers. There's an infographic. And um, so there's there's 20 things in that. I don't have time to give you all 20 today, but I'm going to pull some of the ones that really pertain to management. And um, the first one I want to talk about is the ability to utilize student tech experts in your room. Now, remember you are not the only person in that room who can help students. Um, In fact, students often learn better from each other as much as we hate to admit that than sometimes they can learn from us. And so as you facilitate, it's also possible to set up, you know, some of those more tech savvy students as experts, whether you have one expert of the day or your rotating position, you can have students apply for it. And I've seen this done in the the even in the younger grades and of course all the way up to to high school and one of the episodes that we had during our first season was about the Chrome Squad at Royce City High School in Royce City Texas where they have an entire squad of high school students who their job is to help um, not just with the technical things, but they're helping teachers learn tricks. They come into classrooms, they do all kinds of things. So, um, you know, just making use of the other people in the room. Don't feel like the burden is all on you. Right, right. Exactly. I think, yeah, so often in so many arenas of, of education, I think 
sometimes we as teachers bear the burden a little bit too much. And um, yes, students are, are capable and they love to be to be seen as the experts. Uh, fun fact about the Chrome Squad, I just got an email recently and apparently they have started a podcast team. So more details on that later. But um, yeah, the, they're, I think they're a really good, um, sort of a really good model to follow. Um, two more fast things for me before we wrap up. Um, Again, if you're looking for tactics that can be useful, I want to tell you about the keyboard shortcut of all keyboard shortcuts that whenever I show people this in trainings, um, this this is sometimes their big takeaway for the entire day. Um, this is the one where you can uh, reopen a tab that you accidentally closed. So if you've ever had that happen before, you close a tab and you go, oh my goodness, what was I doing? I, I wish I had that tab back. Um, you can use control shift T, that's T as in tab, and it will reopen that tab. Now, the reason I tell you this in this uh, in this episode about cl- uh, managing classrooms is that if this is your like last line of resort or last line of defense, your last resort, and you just have to know what a student was looking at before they closed a tab. Um, you know, sometimes you walk by and students have quick fingers and they're able to close things really fast. If you just have to know, you can use that keyboard shortcut, control shift T to, to, to do it. Now, again, like anything else, I wouldn't use this as I wouldn't use this regularly. I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't beat students over the head with it. But it's sometimes just good to have those things in your in your back pocket. And um, I think finally, the last thing is um there is no shame in if, if students are kind of like widespread abusing something and it's just chaos, there's no shame in shutting it down. Um, I've, I've done that myself. Uh, there have been times in my class where something went sideways in a hurry and I just said, hey, everybody close those Chromebooks. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think before you get back to it, I think, A, you've got to know why you shut it down. And I think, B, the kids have to know why. And then you've got to kind of work together to, to work through that. So anyway, those are those are my last two. And, you know, I think that's that's also the reason why you should have a plan B in the back of your head. You know, yeah. um, whether it's because something went awry, because guess what? Lessons are not perfect. And the first time you do them, sometimes, you know, I've, we've all had that happen where, oh, this is not working out at all how I planned. So what are we going to do next? And, you know, just, and it doesn't mean that you've got to, you know, write out an entire lesson plan, but just being flexible and thinking ahead so that you know what you're going to do just in case things don't go as planned, whether it's the technology that's not working or the kids are, are, are way too off task with it, whatever it is. Um, you know, another strategy that I think goes along with what I mentioned earlier with the tech, um, tech experts is the ask three before me. That is hands down one of the best things I ever learned in the classroom. And to get kids in the habit of asking other people for help before they come to the teacher. So in my classroom, a lot of times I was pulling small groups and it would be really hard to continue doing small group instruction when I've got a million other kids coming up to ask questions about whatever they're supposed to be working on. So that was one of the things that really helped me manage things, whether I was using technology or not. And so part of that three can be, hey, did you did you Google it? Did you check YouTube? Um, you know, to see if you could find the help that you need. Um, 
And, you know, I also like to share one tip that saved me as soon as I figured this out as a new teacher. But, you know, when we would create, say, um, of course, this harkens back to the PowerPoint days, but um, we were creating a presentation, my students would spend half the class period choosing their font, right? (laughs) The perfect font in the perfect color and adding animations and doing all of this. And then it come time to turn it in. And all they had to show me was they had selected a font and that was it. So one of my roles in my classroom was always, you do not touch the bells and whistles until your content is there. So um, the entire assignment um, is not about making it pretty or adding extra things. Yeah, that's great. Those are skills kids need. But if they're not addressing the whole why of the lesson, then the technology is is not serving its purpose. So um, that's that was always like a big rule when I was doing anything with technology in my classroom. Yeah, I think that's so important. That's 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 a good skill. That's a good skill you can pass on to your students. So anyway, um, these are the thoughts of two co-hosts of a podcast, and they are not the only ways of viewing all of this. And this is a rich discussion. And our goal here was to get you thinking and to maybe spark some discussion about this, because we are better together when we hear from each other. And so as everything else, we would love to hear your takes on all this, your tips and tricks, your guiding light when it comes to all of this. And so definitely reach out on the GT Tribe hashtag on Twitter. Um, Leave us a message. uh, Send us an email at googleteachertribe.com. We would love to hear from you. Okay, y'all, we have just a couple of things to share from the blogs. And I want to kick things off with a guest post from the Shake Up Learning blog. And this is called Student Play of the Week with Google Slides. And this is a guest post by our friend Pam Hubler, who you have heard here on the tribe in an earlier episode. And Pam shared this idea with me and I thought it was fabulous. It really is all about helping to share the success of what students are accomplishing in the classroom. So taking a play off of sports, obviously, the idea of there being a play of a week, of the week, you know, to highlight the great plays that you may have missed. This is going to highlight the great things and the great learning that's happening in your classroom. And Pam shared a really cool little Google Slides template. Go figure, it's Google Slides, right? And um, just a great way that you could either do it with um, an entire class in one slide deck or giving each student their own slide deck to share a play every week. And so I think it's a great way to recognize success and to help students recognize that. But even better, this is something that'd be fabulous to share with the world and to share with parents in the community. I love that. That's great. So to wrap this up for me real fast, um, just wanted to share one more time that the Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit is finally live. So it kicked off on Friday and we're going to end up having as many as 35 video presentations you can watch. This is our free online conference that happens every single year. Well, this is the third year at least. So for the last three years, it has happened every single year. And I get the, you know, the the best and the brightest, the people that I'm interested and excited about to be able to share with you. And we've got some really good ones to watch. Um, it's available from the 14th through the 31st of December. And you can get free professional development certificates, like certificates of completion that you can pass along for professional development credits if your school does that kind of thing. 
There's also a great uh, Twitter hashtag community at Ditch Summit. Well, it's hashtag Ditch Summit. So um, you can head over to DitchSummit.com to get signed up for it and get your free ticket. It's not too late, even though we've already gotten started. There's still plenty of days for you to listen to and watch as many of those videos as you'd like. So head over to DitchSummit.com if you want to get signed up. All right, Tribe, that wraps up yet another episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast with some things to think about related to classroom management, some of those big picture things and some of the tips. We hope that it's been useful to you. And again, we are always interested to hear your take on those kinds of things since, you know, everybody has experiences and opinions to share. So please do so at the GT Tribe hashtag on Twitter or head over to GoogleTeacherTribe.com. We would love to see an email or a voice message from you. And speaking of voice messages, we are gearing up for next week's Tips from the Tribe. That means the episode is all about you. And what we want you to do is to go to googleteachertribe.com forward slash feedback and leave us a voicemail. Voice messages get priority. Hint, hint. We want we want your voice. And so you may have heard tips from the tribe uh, on a on a previous episode. And this is all about your favorite Google tips and tricks. Um, keep them short, folks. Two minutes or less. We don't we don't have time to have everybody start their own podcast within a podcast. But we would love to hear what you're doing, what you're loving, um, the tips that have helped you as a teacher. Yes, absolutely. Can't wait to hear those. Of course, if you need anything from this episode, the link is googleteachertribe.com slash 68. And we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Merry Christmas, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech Podcast.